Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Dug Too Deep, the officially unofficial podcast for the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back to do uh, season one and two sort of feedback roundup. Is that right? Episode one and two. We're not, we haven't seen season two at all yet. <laughs> Which turns out we got screeners. We watched them all and here we are. Uh, yeah, no, they, they gave right. us screeners for next year. It's not even out yet. It's uh-huh. crazy. I don't know what they're doing over there at Amazon Prime Studios. Yes, the first two episodes. Uh, do we have any feedback to discuss this week? Are people excited? We got feedback. We got feedback. It's um, you know it's Labor Day weekend here in the states. Um, a lot of people had a three, sometimes even four day weekend. Um, a lot of people are probably watching and processing. So we didn't have a huge like commiserate to the traffic and the uh, the reach the show. We didn't have a lot, but I'm sure it'll pick up. You know, it's not quite like the pent up floodgates over on House of the Dragon. But mm-hmm. uh, before we get to that, I want to talk, uh, do some some show, some show notes, some show talk, some meta conversation. Uh, it was reported everywhere. The one I'm looking at right now is Variety. Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power premiere drew 25 million global viewers on the first day, Amazon says. Now, hmm. you'll recall the HBO said that they got 10 million people to watch the premiere of House of the Dragon in the first 24 hours just two weeks ago. What do you make of this 25 million global viewer number? Does that mean 25 million individual people or there were 25 million views on the combined total of two episodes this is a good question because it says according to the e-commerce giant the rings of power is viewed by 25 million viewers globally over the initial 24 hours that the tv's first two episodes are available now that's interesting so you got two episodes Mm mm-hmm does that so that does that mean that they were each viewed about 12 million times right uh, 12.5 million times and also when they say viewers are we talking household or viewers uh i would imagine amazon knows because of all their fucking listening devices and their ordering <laughs> habits and stuff about how many people are in a household but it's kind of cheating to assume that everybody's watching it right yeah this yeah. is a huge no now let me say so like number one all these numbers as far as i can tell are secret mm-hmm. so like they can say whatever they want uh, and I don't trust corporations, period. I, I trust them less than showrunners. And if, you, if you've heard enough of our bald move coverage, you know, I don't trust showrunners to tell us the truth about the goddamn shows they're, they're, they're doing either. Um, but I guess I think this is plausible because the one thing that um, I think it was Dave Chin mentioned He's like, you know, putting aside everything else, it's kind of nice that there's two fantasy shows and one is a clear choice for like families. You know, if you've got like sure, seven, sure. eight, nine year old kids, you're not going to sit them down in front of House Drag. I mean, you, <laughs> you might. Shouldn't. And I'm you not going 
I'm not going to I'm not I'm not going to judge that choice. There's all kinds of ways to raise kids. Okay. Hmm. I don't think I would sit him down in front of a a mother being ripped in twain and a child brought out that's going to be burnt on a dragon pyre. Okay. I if if if, I I wouldn't I wouldn't expose him to the farts and the decocking and all the other stuff. Uh, Whereas Lord of the Rings can get scary. But you're not going to see brother and sister dicking each other down. You're not going to see, you know, 12 year old child brides. You're not going to see, you know, just the the awful, gruesome violence that they do do some pretty awful, gruesome violence, but not to extent to House of Dragon does. So that's always been conventional wisdom that like a rated R movie just can't perform as as well as a PG-13 because mm-hmm. it just shuts off so much of the audience. I, this this 25 million number might be plausible. Plus. So many people have Amazon Prime. And it's like it's true. I don't think a lot of people use their video service, but if there was ever going to be an event that just got a lot of people off their asses, it's the idea of more Lord of the Rings. Um so I don't I feel like that's I plausible. Don't know, but I, I wonder if this was a case of like global release versus a more localized regional release for House of the Dragon because it's airing on a cable network that's or a premium network that you know, isn't yeah. broadcast everywhere. Um, I know HBO Max has a pretty wide. I mean, it's it's in a lot of countries. I don't know about 240 countries and territories that Amazon Prime is, but it's in a lot. And well, I'm just wondering if their agreements with certain providers uh, prohibit them from releasing it all across the globe mm. on HBO Max or whatever. At the same time, plus do they count? They count the ones that like go out on like Sky TV with commercials. Do they count those airings? Yeah. Yeah, oh, this I just thought that in, 10 million was uh, Reed, Reed Hastings is on the line. He says that uh, Bird Box actually has 480 billion viewers uh, in, in the same weekend. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Netflix still holds the crown. You can have all the rings you want, but the crown belongs to Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's the thing, right? <laughs> all this is secret. We have no insight into how Amazon ma- measures their numbers. Uh, but I mean, regardless, it's clear that it was a success, right? I mean, I can look at the people talking about it online, look at all the reviews, look at everything. And I come away with it going, this is already a big show. Well, I mean, we, I woke up this morning, saw that, uh, Doug too deep is number eight in the TV and film category. And, and uh, iTunes is actually slightly ranked higher than our, um, House of Dragon coverage, of course, I don't think that, you know, the new episode last night hasn't actually hit the stats yet, but Mm -hmm. it's clearly a big show with lots of interest, uh, people searching out podcasts and stuff for it. So uh, and yeah, everyone that has liked and subscribed and has shared with their friends and family, our feed, really appreciate that. You know, we kind of thrive on word of mouth around here. So to the extent that you've helped us uh, out with that, I really appreciate it and keep it up if you haven't. Um, especially these newer feeds that we're trying to get established. It's, I can't I can't say enough how much, uh, you know, a positive review and a subscription can mean. So mm-hmm. and definitely give our friends, the Lorehound, some love on their second age feed because they're going to have exclusive content throughout the season. And they're going to be well, joining us called, later in the it's podcast. It's not called the second age anymore. It's called because the Lorehounds is the name of the umbrella like ah, thing. Got you. Uh, it's I'm the Lorehounds, up, the Rings of the Power Lorecast. So gotcha. Yeah. Check out the lore cast because that's the thing. It's like I I was going to try to do my best to be a lore expert for both of these House of Dragon and <laughs> Rings of Power. And that's when we were going to have screeners and I could get a, like a week or two prepped in advance. 
But when that didn't happen, like, man, I'm so glad we got the Lorehounds to lean on because I, I know I, just, I know a, a decent amount, but my Tolkien knowledge is kind of out of date and, and more towards my high school years than it is my mm-hmm. adult life. So uh, but we'll have them on later on because we got two particularly tricky lore questions to tackle or they're beyond my pay grade anyway. Uh, Doug too deep. At baldmove.com is how you want to submit feedback to this show. Uh, there's lots of places to talk about uh, the Rings of Power and the Bald Move Network. We got the discords, uh, you know, we've got the forums. Uh, but uh, for if you if you want to get feedback, consideration to read uh, Doug Too Deep at baldmove.com. Also, we had been given out ROP uh, as the email address earlier, and we decided we're like, well, that's that was a provisional thing and it's like it's the rings of power so it's actually supposed to be t-rop so we we added an alias e- either of those things will work um don't yeah. feel like if you sent yeah, stuff to don't, rop don't send it there <laughs> yeah don't send it anymore but like I, yeah. I don't want people to think because i got a few that were sent through to rop and like i went and got those as well but they all they're all going to go to the same place so uh but dug too deep at baldmove.com is going forward surprise spent 60 seconds on that i shouldn't have anyway let's get right to it jamie McHugh. Looking forward to both the House of Dragons and the Rings of Power. Very much enjoying the deep dive into the lore at the Lorehounds. Thank you very much, Jamie. I'm currently subscribed to Bald Move Pulp, Dug Too Deep, and the Lorehounds, the Second Age podcast. <laughs> it looks like the content is the same in each feed. Which feed can I safely assume will have everything so I don't have lots of duplicates on my feed? This is a tricky question. This is some some deep lore of our own. Um, yeah. We are no longer going to cross post the Lorehound stuff during the reign of Doug Too Deep, uh, the main podcast, to Pulps uh, and to the Doug Too Deep feed. Um, the whole idea was to try to build up this feed and then reverse the flow for the season. So if you want the Lorehound's expanded coverage, which is going to include... Uh, a lot of Gemini because uh, David, the the, the second uh, Lorehound, is going to be on vacation for like three weeks. Um, so we're gonna there's gonna be lots of Jim and Aaron on that feed as well. You need to check out Lorehounds, um, the lore po- the Lorecast, right? Yeah, Rings of Power Lorecast. You just so, search Lorehounds, you'll find it. Now, if you just want all of Bald Move, like you, you can all the Bald Move stuff will always be on Pulp. You know, like anything, it's dragons or fantasy or that kind of stuff. So if you if you get pulp and the rings of power, lore, lore hounds, the rings of power, lore cast, you will have everything. Always. Just call it the lore hounds. That's the easiest the way to. That's the easiest thing to call it, and the easiest way to find it. Yeah, search for lore hounds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. Um, if you do if you do those two podcasts, you'll you'll pretty much have have everything. Although I can't promise you won't ever have duplicates because again, we might decide to cross post stuff for you know uh, traffic and visibility purposes. But I, I now that we got the feeds established, I'm, I'm, I'm I I don't think so. But for sure, pulp and lorehounds. You you don't need dug too deep if you're already subscribed to pulp and everybody else. Like if you want to make sure you don't miss any of our fantasy zombie spaceship coverage i highly recommend checking out bald move pulp because we do a lot of movies mm-hmm. one-off movies a lot of one-off first run movies and a lot of people i don't I can't tell you how many times i hear from people hey are you ever going to talk about x we talked about x six months ago but uh bald move pulp fixes all that stuff in your favorite podcast app 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, MHC regarding Theo. Absolutely loving the show, but until I see that kid's ears, I'm going to assume there was a drunken night between the lady and the elf, and that's Mm -hmm. why it's so awkward between them. Plus, their kid's haircut is designed to hide the ears. And she's wearing a damn uh, headband the entire time. I'm looking at her ears going, show me me those things. I'm not going to believe that you're actually not an elf until I see it. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I, I okay. So the the this is not a bad theory. It's a great theory. The only the I only reason <laughs> the only reason I don't like it is it makes Aaron Deer's dialogue kind of ridiculous. Like I've all stuff. but said, I've all but said, I I I love you in so many different ways, including dicking you down multiple <laughs> times and put and fathering a child <laughs> upon you. Like, come on. Come yeah. on, there's there's a forlorn, awkward, lonely incel elf, and then there's like some ridiculous <laughs> shit. I feel like we're going kind of ridiculous shit if we're going to lead, yeah. lead go down that that way. You're right. You're right. It doesn't make any sense with that dialogue. But man, I liked that theory. Uh, I didn't notice the kid's uh, ear uh, um, hiding haircut. Maybe it's because my kid has increasingly got an ears hiding haircut. It just mm-hmm. seems to be the cool thing to kind of go the Beatles route um, nowadays here. Um, cr- uh, lots of people concurred with you, though. This is a very you're the first, but this is a very popular theory. Craig T says uh, wants to talk about this relationship, too. I wasn't sure what to expect from the show, but at the first episode, I think it's going to be good at the very least. Same. Mm-hmm. Hard to believe that this show is going to be just shit uh, after these first two episodes. But one thing that did bug me is the love story and how it's portrayed between Bronwyn and Arendir. Got no problems with an elf and a human, but if he's been going to that village for 79 years and surely he's seen her grow up from a baby, that's kind of creepy. Am I missing something? Nope. I don't know. I want to. Is it creepy? I how want old, to. How old does yes. she need to be before it becomes not creepy? I don't know. Like, I'm thinking like... Can an elf like, and a human just never... Yeah, unless they were born at the same time, just... But then the elf will age slower, right? Like, can an elf and a human well, so just like, never get together? I think what's cre- creepy is the idea that Aaron Deer perhaps bounced Bronwyn on his knee in that tavern. was like, oh, a newborn baby. Er, 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 you know, I'm the mm-hmm. I'm the elf warden. Doesn't seem And the then, type, then okay. like, oh, you're getting so big and strong, Bronwyn. Look at you with the ribbons in your hair and you're, you know, doing that thing where you're chasing a wheel with a... What's, what's that? The, the Victorian children are always chasing a wheel down the sidewalk with a stick. <laughs> sure. You're you're playing yo-yos and and jumping jacks and all that stuff. And then, oh, Bronwyn, you're starting to develop into a woman now. And then five years later, I I, I, I have feelings for you. It's like that's that's that is creepy. Um, But there's also the Twilight corollary where I think you're supposed to in some romances ignore the fact that like Edward Cullen is like 140 years old or whatever the fuck he is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Bella is what, 17 high school kid. Yeah. 
and it's not about the looks like it's it's not that uh, Edwin Ed, Edward looks like an 18 year old. It's like he's 140 years old. He's been walking on this planet since the civil fucking war. Mm-hmm. And he's going to he's going to get into a, a monogamous forever re- eternal relationship with a 17 year old. It but you're not supposed to think about that. You're just supposed to think right. about how star crossed and romantic it all is um, here. I think it's different than courting a high school kid. Uh, yeah. She is a woman full grown. She's got a kid herself. She's not. Yeah. You know, at this point, I think it's totally appropriate. She's as, you know, as mature as a human is going to get, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if it like, uh, like, so Luthien and Bar- Baron, they're the other two, like, uh, elf human star cross lovers in the Tolkien universe. And like, uh, he came, you know, as the human, as the, as the, as the male, uh, he came across, they came, came across each other by accident when they're full grown. And I think that's different than if they grew up together, you know, because hmm. like that's always going to be kind of, I think, creepy and, and uh, to our modern eyes. But, uh, yeah, I just you're not supposed to think about it, man. Uh, Adam T is one of the ones that concurred with MHC on the Theo, but he also had some other thoughts. This elven man is either corrupted by Sauron or Sauron in disguise. Um, elven my support man? for this, I think he's the Elven Smith Meteor? man, is either corrupted by. So he's talking about um, Celebrimbor, I believe. Really. Okay. I think so. He's either corrupted by Sauron or Sauron in disguise. My support for this is thin since we haven't seen much of the character, but given he will forge the rings, presumably there has to be some fuckery going on. But as soon as he came on screen, I got a sixth sense that this is a man was an infiltrator somehow. I hmm. I think the one thing that might be that might be setting off your alarm bells is it does seem like he is concerned with like he's got some kind of pride and ambition and it's around creating something with real power. Unlimited power. Yeah. yeah, That kind of thing. Traditionally, that doesn't go well for people in fiction. Yeah. Um, but you know, especially the the Lord of the Rings or, you know, Tolkien's works. Right. But there's a lot of different ways that can go bad by and, and still having uh Celebrimbor be a decent guy. He could be fooled, he could be bamboozled, he could be manipulated. Sure. He could be but then then once you get there you start to be he could be co-opted, he could be corrupted and that's more of like yeah, like you, you, if you're corrupted that's something being done to you, but also you're kind of letting it happen too. It's usually some kind of fatal flaw that's allowed something you know evil into your heart, right? Mm-hmm. So, we'll see how that goes. Uh Says two. Your point about mithril—that was my speculation for what the um, what what the MacGuffin was that they opened, and you know what that little box bathed in, in silver light, right? Yeah. Because, but for some reason, my mind went to the Arkenstone, not mithril. Do you recall? Did you watch all of the Hobbit movies? <laughs> I watched the first one, and then I just totally background watched the second. There are the next okay. two, so I okay, don't so know did. a damn thing what happened in those. I know there was a dragon fight scene on a pier that went on for far too long, about a third of the movie. Uh, This went on for far too long is the subtitle for the (laughs) Hobbit trilogy. Uh Uh, So Smog the dragon, one of the beefs that the dwarves had is not only was he set up shop in their, you know, Lonely Mountain uh, retreat, but he had stole this Arkenstone, this glorious glowing gem Hmm. that was discovered by this, the separate family of dwarves. Um, So 
that that's that's the that that's what he's got he's going for here. And he says, but Mithril does hold with what we know about Kaza Dune. You know, the fact that it delves the 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 dwarves de- eventually delve too greedily and too deeply, mm-hmm. and we get a Balrog situation. Um, the thing about the Arkenstone is that's like all third age stuff. Yeah. That's all like this establishing of the the Lonely Mountain outpost and all that is is stuff that happens in a third age. And we are, I think, I'm going to check with John and David here in a minute. I think we're at the very dawn of the second age or perhaps very late in the first age um, with some time fuckery to adjust for the fact that Amazon doesn't have all the rights to all the stories they want to tell, you know. That's the thing. The the Rings of Power description says this epic drama is set thousands of years before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So thousands of years before. I mean, look, asshole lore people who are huge sticklers are already uh, prickling at so many other things. I doubt they would go Mm -hmm. with this big of a time jump as far as like advancing a plot. Uh, Yeah. But I don't know. But for for Adam T's point, um, I think a lot of people like, you know, when uh, you see something in Tolkien and they're like, oh, this is my ancestor stone from you assume that it's like thousands of years old when really it could just be hundreds of years old. And I think that's what the case is here. Hmm. Um, but also he thinks the Aaron Deer's son. So we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Aaron is going to have some explaining to do. But the, the thing is, is like he said himself, that doesn't explain the existence of the Morgul blade. Like, why would Aaron like. It seems I, I think this kid's father, absent father, is tied to that evil and is tied to the foreshadowing of the fact that there is still a shadow of taint on these people. Maybe not everybody, but there's a, some that have, you know, really holding out for the old ways, mm-hmm. the old Morgothian ways. Uh, Matt from Sacramento says Jim mentioned in first episode that Elrond was a familiar face to him. But I'm surprised that neither of you mentioned that the actor playing Elrond actually is a familiar uh, face to you and lots of people. Is he? If you couldn't couldn't place him, the actor is Robert Aramayo. (laughs) What a great name for a white guy. Aramayo. Who played the young Ned Stark in the the, the Tower of Joy flashback scenes from Game of Thrones. Wow. And as soon as she said that, I'm like, fuck yes, I can see this guy. Yeah, yeah, I can see this guy calling Sir Arthur Dane out and uh, that 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 whole fight scene and the whole promise me Ned. It's all coming back to me. So thanks right. for that, because, yeah, um, guy doesn't seem like he's aged in five years. But I guess that's Hollywood. You pretty much look the same from 18 to 40 and then, you know, <laughs> right. Gravity starts unless you're Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise. Uh, Adam Terry says hey guys not sure if anyone mentioned it but it looked a lot to me like the platform where the elf king catches the dying leaf in episode one is probably the same platform where Galadriel and Gandalf met in one of the non-canon moments of the Hobbit trilogy not particularly meaningful but it's interesting and I think adds some color to the location when seen in the Hobbit I'm excited for this double dose of bald move fantasy coverage triple dose if you count double dragon which we do that's Maester Anthony's separate House of the Dragon podcast um I do not think that you are right, Adam, uh, because if I remember correctly, the scene you're talking about where Galadriel and Gandalf meet with Elrond and uh, Saruman, that they're meeting in Rivendell, which is uh, Elrond's house. And 
Gilgalad rules over Linden. And I actually mm. didn't know this because I I'm kind of have to look things up to get my bearings. So I consulted my map of Middle Earth. I got a really nice one. It's uh, you can see it above my shelf in some of my shots. It's laser cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Linden is on the westernmost part of Middle Earth because that's where the boats you're eventually going to leave to go to the Grey Havens. You know, you, you sail west and you meet the Undying Lands. Uh, and then if you move interior from the coast, you move, you move east, you run into what's called the Blue Mountains. Over that, you run into the Shire and Bree, which is, you know, where a lot of the Hobbity action takes place in uh, the Lord of the Rings series. Then you keep walking, and you get to Rivendale, which is in what I'd guess would be the foothills of the Misty Mountains. Uh, and that's where uh, the Misty Mountains uh, contains the location for Moria. Kazakh Doom, as it's called in the series. Uh, and just on the other side of the Misty Mountains, you have the Mirkwood Forest, which contains Lothlorien. And then south of that, you've got all of Gondor. And then to the east of that, Mordor. So I don't think so. Now, you could be uh, you could be talking about the scene where they're exploring. I think they're the evil that they're kind of tracking and they're looking, you know, for this necromancer kind of guy. But I think that's in like the wreckage. That's kind of like more towards the, the Mordor and the old Arnor kingdoms. So it's still not the same location, but I, I, I think you're, you could be forgiven because like to my mind, um, this, uh, this, this Linden place looks so much like, uh, Rivendell, you know, it's got the exact mm-hmm. same architecture, the exact same kind of golden eternal autumn trees, which I thought was weird because I always thought, I always thought um, Rivendell looked that way because it was the autumn of the elves, like they're about to disappear, time is running out, the leaves are falling off. The tree. Like thematically, I always thought that that, and and I would, I was suspecting that this was going to be a lot greener and more vital, but. The, the, the elves like that gold golden market golden leaf oh, architecture yeah. i guess yeah they pack that stuff with them when they when they go on vacation uh let's move on to essie who says i'm sure this has been pointed out in various forms already but as a chicago one who studied the history of the ancient greek and romans i couldn't help but notice that durin's kids running around in helmets look very much like this sculpture of a statue of a young satyr wearing a theater mask of selenios Circa the first century CE on display in ancient art galleries and art Institute of Chicago. I'm sharing this with Jim in case he wants to take a look at it. Um, And we'll put it in the show notes for everybody who wants to take a gander at it. In Greek mythology, satyrs were the followers of Dionysus, which is the God of wine and theater and known for being very mischievous. This one is playing with a theater mask depicting the aged satyr Selenos. I don't think this is any significance for the plot beyond being a cool art historical reference, but I thought you might find this kind of stuff interesting. I bet somebody in the art department of House of the Dragon must have studied the ancient Mediterranean. Yeah, I was going for even like before the Macedonians and Greece Empire. I was going for like the Persian uh, Empire in, in its aesthetic, but you know, you look at this picture and it does look like it's like literally like a, it looks like a small child running around with his giant heads on. Yeah. Yeah, satyrs. Satyrs? Hey, you don't like the hairy goat legs? No, satyrs are like my most disliked uh, mythological creature. Why? I'll is take this? a Medusa over a satyr any day. I don't. I don't like them, man. The way they're the way they're licking things and crawling mm. up people's legs. I fucking hate them. God, I always felt like my like I I would I don't know. Satyrs seem pretty cool. There's like. 
out in the forest, seducing nymphs, playing their wood flutes, drinking wine, tell, to saying what fools these mortals be. It seems like a pretty dope life, man. <laughs> I guess so, but <laughs> I, I want nothing to do with them. Their legs bend backwards. That's the only thing. I think that'd be hard on the knees, having your legs point backwards that mm, way. Yeah. Uh, Jamie H says, the show is gorgeous, and I'm so happy it exists when I do. You know... They say that we're born too late to explore the earth and too early to explore the stars. We're born just right to get sick ass 4K television, baby. I mean, come on. We're exploring the digital realm. Yeah, it's all fake and for show, but still, I'm getting a lot of kick out of it. I have one question and one crazy theory. One, what is the history between Elrond and Prince Durin? Uh, No idea. We don't know. Nobody knows. There is, I think it's interesting. So, like, the history of the elves and the dwarves are fraught, and they many times are fractious in a quarrel. They've frequently also come together. And part of this is, if you'll recall, I'm not sure if the Lorans explicitly talked about this, because I've been doing some extended reading myself. But you'll recall that, like, the dwarves were made by the dwarf, the angelic being, uh, um, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. He's the Smith God. He's like the, the demigod of smithery. And he saw Iru Aluvatar, the God of the Tolkien universe doing all this creation. And he was designed to want to create as well. And he in secret created all these dwarf guys running around that he would animate. Um, they didn't have any real independent life, but he would essentially play with them like puppets and pretend like they were his children in invitation of his father. And uh, Iru got a hold of. Him. He's like, what the hell are you doing, man? This isn't part of my plan. And OLA said, you know what? I feel terrible about this. And I was just trying to copy you, dad. But I can see that this is kind of like too big for my britches. So I'm going to take my hammer. and I'm going to smite these creatures. And these dwarf children that he had created recoiled because they're like seeing that he's about to smash them. And Eru, and much like, um, you know, the story of Isaac and Abraham, he stayed his hand and said, don't do that. You actually you can tell by the way they're cringing that they now have independent action because I've taken pity upon them. And, you know, you're just trying to share the love and beauty of creation with them. And I've, I've animated them with part of my spirit. So they're independent now. But there's going to be two consequences it's still in the plan for the elf elves be the firstborn. So I'm going to put these people to sleep until after the elves and men have, have been introduced to the middle earth. And because this music is not part of the original music of creation, there's always going to be this disharmony between the dwarves and the firstborn, the true firstborn. So there's like in, there's like something inside the, 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 the dwarves that doesn't, that is disconcordant with the elves. And, they tend to have these these problems. But if you recall in The Lord of the Rings, there is a secret rear friend entrance designed specifically for the elves. Remember when uh, Gandalf was trying to get there and, he, and there's this door that can only be seen in star or moonlight and it says speak friend and enter. And one of the hobbits has to say, well, what if it's just, you know, the el- elvish word for friend and, you know, the you know, the rest that was created uh, because the the elves of Kazakh or the elves of um, the uh, Aregion and the Kazakh and the dwarves of Kazakh Doom became fast friends during this age. And hmm. I couldn't find anything about Elrond and um, Durin in particular, but it seems like we're going to get to see how they became fast friends and allies in this age. 
So, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, we're going to get we're going to get into that. Uh, also, Jamie says, I don't trust Galadriel's shipwreck friend. I think his name is Halbrand. Yeah. My husband and I both thought he was super shady and maybe I watch or read too much fantasy. But my crazy theory is that shipwreck friend is Sauron. I guess oh, we're to make him a man. fiend. Everybody's God. Sauron, according to the audience. Everybody's well, got you the know, pet theory. It's the big mystery. Where is Sauron Nori? gone? How about Nori? Can Nori be Sauron? Nori could be Sauron. Okay. She's just she feels too important. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, the Hobbit ancestors are the least suspect when it comes to evil, but I, I have no hard evidence to back that up. Uh, but she's putting this up out there for potential Internet points. Well, I'll say that if Halbrun turns out to be Sauron, you're going to win a lot because I think that's one of the dark horse candidates. Oh, yeah. That's a, that you're getting 500 to one odds in Vegas on that bet right now. Long odds. Uh, I will say I am 100 percent with you. He seems super shady. Uh and not just in a Han Solo way, not just like that roguish nature of his, um, but also in a way that he's up to something. Yeah, there is something shady about it. And like anytime you've got a person who just abandons uh, a larger group of people to save themselves, you always think, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what went down before, but that's uh, my assumption is that's not cool behavior. So yeah. you're probably not a cool guy, but we'll see. Double T says, always great to email you guys for a new podcast on a great new show. And the feedback you mentioned, the show has many visual and design similarities to the Jackson movies. While this is true, I wanted to note the reason for this being that those movies and this show both use the work of iconic Tolkien illustrator, John Howe as the basis of their aesthetic. I didn't know that. I figured that they hmm. were just copying off of Jackson's pre-production design work. But of course, John Howe and Alan Lee, two of the leading Tolkien illustrators of our time, both worked uh, in the production department and both generated a ton of the look and feel of the Tolkien universe. I don't know. Like, um, I, I didn't find this before the podcast. I'm supposing the double T saying that John Howe still working with them and maybe Alan Lee is not. Um, <laughs> if that's true, I always like John Howe stuff more than Alan Lee. Uh, John Howe stuff very much has that heavy metal album cover slash mural airbrushed on the side of a sick custom van kind of aesthetic that <laughs> I think right. really suits this high fantasy. And Alan Lee is much more twee charcoal and watercolor and beautiful, but like not that kind of heavy metal sick ass aesthetic that I that I like, you know? Yeah, um, I, I was like John Howe better than Alan Lee. Uh and that is going to be the end of our uh, uninformed no lore segments, although we dipped a little bit into the lores. We're going to now bring the lore hounds on to do the heavy lifting lore segments that I myself could not could not research in, in the time allotted. So let's bring them on. All right, David and John, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for helping us out with the heavy lore lifting here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. And uh, you guys have already got, like, I very much encourage people to check out your lore deep dive over on the Lorehounds. Uh, what, what's the, what's, now that we're done with the second age, it's the Lorehounds lore. Lorecast? Lore podcast? Lorecast? Lorecast. The Rings of Power Lorecast. That's very it. exciting. Yeah. If you search for Lorehounds, you're gonna you're not gonna go far wrong. Uh, what were the like uh, the, the the big interesting topics you guys were were highlighting this week in the Lorecast? So, yeah, 
So we got to we had to, we had we did a really interesting dive into uh, Galadriel's brother, Finrod, and uh, then we also talked who, who about who I call Lindor. Yes, <laughs> the Truffle Man. <laughs> we had the Meteor Man, the Truffle Man. This episode. And uh, what else did we talk about, John? I'm um, my brain has already leaked out the, the sides of my ears. Yeah, we also talked about the trees of Valinor, which you That's saw it. in that prologue, um, and we also sort of translated the Quenya that Meteor Man was saying. And there's a a, two, a couple possible variations. So tune in if you want to hear our speculation on that. Oh, I took a stab at that. That it's it's essentially uh, what is fire, or perhaps where is fire. This was was what I was was my stab at translating that. What did you guys come away with? So that's one of them. And then the other one is if there's an accent on the A that they just didn't put into the subtitles, it could be blessed fire. So that could be like the secret fire, which is sort of at the core of this world. flame and perishable. Yeah, yeah. Gandalf with I am the servant of the secret flame. Mm -hmm. So it could be like that. The fate of the fandom hinges on whether there's an accent included in the uh, closed captioning or not. Mm -hmm. Mm. Philology. Jeff Bezos, a trickster god with the uh, subtitles. Absolutely. Um, I So did you guys talk about because one of the things I was curious about since we got you here and uh, where do we go? We got the two trees providing light. How do we mm-hmm. end up with the sun and the moon? Do you guys oh, talk this about is a good that? question? Yeah. John's yeah. got a whole whole uh, tree. St- well, he's got a very quick synopsis of this already. Okay. Prepared for so, you. Che- so I'm going to I'm going to check. Uh, I, I didn't have time because that just got came out this morning. I was compiling feedback. So like I'm going to listen to that. So, yeah, I'm super interested in some of these super the like the creation myths in Tolkien universe, I think is awesome. Yeah. The short okay. answer is uh, the two trees as they were dying, each plopped out one fruit each and those became the sun and the moon. Ah, well, that was convenient. That was cool. Yeah. That was cool that there is an escape pod that uh, was just able to keep on trucking <laughs> on. So uh, what's up? Uh, first up again, uh, this the same. This, there's not a special email address. I just curate this to to send to the lorehounds for consideration. Uh, it's all still dug too deep at baldmove.com. Chris is up first. He says, I noticed when the show, when they show everybody seeing the meteor in the sky, we get five perspectives. We got Elros, Elrond, the Ents. Arendir and Bronwyn and then Nori who eventually finds the stranger. There are five Maiar uh, wizards. Could it be that that's what's being presented so far might be in fact different timelines separated by however many hundreds of years tied together by the entrance of each of the wizards like a Westworld fractured type of timeline he's, he's talking about here. Uh, at the end of the fir- uh, episode one um I concede it does look like Sauron's eyes, so maybe it's him, but isn't he already on Middle-earth at this point? Could it be Saruman referencing how he follows Sauron later? Uh, I just want to share this as likely as it may seem now, but I could see how each of the characters' POVs we have may not be concurrent and each meet and find a newly arrived wizard over different centuries. This could settle any lore order of events problems too, perhaps. Not that I care personally, but... Uh, I'll take a good show above that. So he's he's like he's in a good show over purity of lore, which I think puts him in good company. What do you think of this? Is there possible? Because like I never even considered the idea that we might be looking at different timelines. What do you rate the plausibility of this uh, lore hounds? So, so I kind of hope that it's not because there's just so much density to this already that we do not need Westworld in Middle Earth. <laughs> Uh, we, we just don't need it, but let's let's say that it is. 
in general, with the Istari, in some versions of the writing, they all came pretty much at once in the in the Third Age, or or close together. And then in another version, some of them, at least the two blue wizards, came in the Second Age. We've also been digging a little further uh, in t- on Twitter. There's this quote that's going around from the last writings of J.R.R. Tolkien, which is found in the History of Middle Earth volume called "The Peoples of Middle Earth," and this is where he wrote. Uh, something about, you know, the blue wizards probably came in the second age and they worked against Sauron. And, uh, here's, here's the interesting part of the quote is that their task was to circumvent Sauron to help, to bring help to those few tribes of men that had rebelled from Melkor worship. So they could be, that could be them going to help these people like Bronwyn in her village. Maybe that's a blue wizard. Uh, but, but there's also another quote going around on Twitter. Uh, from the same source that says that Olorin, which is Gandalf's like Maiar holy name, uh, mm-hmm. had already visited Middle Earth and had become acquainted not only with the Sindarin elves and others deeper in Middle Earth, but with also with men. So, so there's a possibility that canonly, at least you know, canon's a funny thing in Tolkien, but canonly, uh, Gandalf or the Blue Wizards could have been around at this time. I, so I've always thought it made a lot of sense to me. I mean, because the like, thing is, is like, there seem like they're coding this guy as evil a lot, but there's also a lot of Gandalf coding. And it would make sense to bring, if you could in any way bring in one of the more recognizable names into this age and not have it completely piss off the Tolkien nerds, it'd probably be a good idea. Um, I, on the Discord, on that Gandalf question, we were doing some more of our own theory crafting in the, in the special channel that we have for this kind of spoiler related stuff. We're trying to stay out of the Reddit verse, uh, and just keep our own little community yeah. in Discord, uh, cause sure. I'm sure somebody out there has cracked a lot of this stuff. But there's definitely a couple scenes with Meteor Man where he's got some runes or he's making the, the fireflies into a constellation, but sure. it actually looks like one of the runes. We were comparing some screenshots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I um, also took a screenshot of him at the center of the meteor after he impacted. And the more you kind of look at it, the less it's an eye and more like a, a he, his body shape is like one of the shapes of the runes. So... Huh. There's a they're throwing a lot of mate- information out at us. I think with the with the express intent to confuse us. Yeah, and if I could just comment on something else with Chris, he's he was saying that uh, you know Sour- Sauron's already in Middle Earth. I think that's true, and I think that that kind of almost precludes Sauron coming in on a meteor because why would Sauron be launched from Valinor when he couldn't go back there? Like like he deliberately, at least you know, canonly refuses to go back to Valinor because he doesn't want to be judged for helping out Melkor or Morgoth in the first age. So I, I don't know how they could plausibly make the Sauron. Maybe they could do a workaround. Maybe he's deceiving people because that's his whole thing. But I don't know. It's a little shaky to make him Sauron. Yeah. And like you were saying, Aaron, bringing in a known name, I think it makes a lot of sense from the uh, studio's side of the equation. Um, and then for the casual fan, right, just the folks who've seen the movies, maybe read one of the books or, you know, just a very light surface level fans, that would also be a big thing to bring them in deeper into the story. So the the likelihood of it being Sauron is, I, in my mind, getting less and less. It's interesting because as somebody who is that casual Lord of the Rings fan has seen the movies, has not read the books, uh, is it actually indicated explicitly that that comet came from Valinor? Because I was assuming with them looking high up in the mountains for Sauron that maybe this was some kind of 
you know, a more, more of like a stellar comet, something that so, and I know that doesn't make a ton of sense, you know, given the nature of meteors or meteorites. Uh, but that this could be somehow him coming down from the mountains. Just before we hopped on the podcast, I rewatched that whole sequence. And when it, it happens while Galadriel and her cadre are approaching the shores of Valinor, there is no origin. They cut from a scene of her looking one direction to the meteor streaking across the sky. And then later on, they have her cut back like as if she or they, they do a cut where she looks back the other direction as if she tracked the meteor coming out of the, uh, you know, out from the shores of, um, of Valinor. Okay. And then the sequences that progress, you got uh, Gilgalad, uh, Elrond, then Bronwyn and Arendir, then the Ents and then Nuri in that order. Now, the funny thing, one of the funny things about that order is, is that where Bronwyn and uh, Arendir physically are in Middle-earth and the direction of the travel that they were showing it, it would be impossible for them to see the meteor streaking across the sky. Mm, so I don't know if they're gotcha. just doing that. Yeah. You know, it's like, ah, whatever. It's, it's good. We got to make it all fit. And but, I'm not familiar uh, enough with the geography to know if like the potential origin could be a mountain somewhere because it seems like it, it might be outside of the realm of uh, of Middle Earth. There, or there's the no influence. hint. Okay, yeah, it's just there. It just suddenly is streaking across the sky over Gilgalad, and there's there's no indication of anything else. I think yeah. we might be at the point of looking at this more closely than the showrunners are. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to Stephanie, who has a lot of thoughts on the stranger too. She says, "When the stranger speaks in Quinya, the language used in Valinor and banned in Middle Earth by Thingol." Did you guys talk about this? We did not, but that is a thing. But the, the thing is, uh, uh, Thingol's not around anymore. I mean, there's right. there's no ban really on... Uh, the only reason that people mostly speak Cinderin now is that people got so used to speaking it that pretty much because everybody knows ban, that. Right. right. Yeah. And so and Quenya is, is still is considered a social taboo? Like, to, like if you start speaking Quenya? Maybe. Uh, I mean, Quenya is pretty much reserved for, like, academic work, for, like, and, scholarship and, this, and history. Right. Because it's all the all the ancient history, all the, like, deep mm-hmm. lore. The, the lore hounds in Middle-earth would definitely be speaking Quenya. Absolutely. But, like, this just goes back to that, that kin slang, that, like, uh, Thingol was affected by this, and he's like, look, as long as you're in my freaking house... Mm-hmm. You're you we're not going to talk in the language of the Kinslayers, you know, I'm not even, you yeah. know, it's like so. And if, if, as long as you show me the respect to speak in Cinderin, even if you are from the Kinslaying faction, then that's kind of like you saying you're genuflecting and mea culping and he's you're, you're cool. Oh, no, he still hated those people. He the people, the, the sons of Feanor, who were the ones who like actively Kinslayed. No, but like, but he didn't like he he. He there was a whole bunch of L, like my understanding there's a whole bunch of elves from that type of elf that was part of the kin slaying and he that was his way of saying that like he doesn't hate everybody and and the sign of you you know kind of not being the type of elf who would be a kin slayer is their willingness to not speak your mother tongue and adopt Sindarin and that but I, I could be wrong that's what this is the opinion I got from a bit of reading this morning. Yeah, no, that's basically right. Is is like there were sort of three major factions of the Noldor. One of them was super kinslay. The other ones were not so much. So the other ones were like, "Hey, look, we weren't part of that." And he goes, "Cool, fine, but don't don't even speak that language because that so, shows me that you're sympathetic with the kinslayers." Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, so it said when the stranger speaks in Quinion, as we both said, references fire. It could be he's warning the Harfoots about Sauron and trying to explain the danger. Sauron was a fire Maya. Most fire Maya were drawn to Morgoth except for Arian, which is why Sauron's most basic form by the Lord of the Rings is a lidless eye wreathed in fire. He can no longer take on human form. Now, I need to pause here and say that Stephanie wrote in later and said that she had misspoke and that Sauron is not a fire Maya. He is, of course, as you mentioned, uh, he's aligned with the Smith uh, Ule. Is that how you pronounce that? Ule. Aule. 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 Um, but, the dwarves with Aule's beard. I, I, <laughs> right. I had a question, though. Um, what defines like a fire spirit? Uh, because to me, like a fire spirit being closely aligned with a smith makes a lot of sense. But I know that like Balrogs are said to be kind of like spirits of flame. Um, certainly this... Uh, um, uh, the 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 Aaron Aaron character was uh, I, I think carried around the sun when it was created. Uh, what yeah, like when we say that that the different um, Maiar are aligned with the different Valar, where does the fire spirits kind of fit in with all that? Is there a fire Maiar? Uh, there is Valar? not. There's not a fire Valar, but there's well, there's like a light Valar with. Uh, uh, Vala with uh, Varda is her name, uh, but but she's more about like starlight and things like that. But um, I'd say that there's it's really very shaky because that's how a lot of Tolkien's soft magic system is. But there's a passage I found in the Silmarillion where it basically just says spirits in the darkness were were attracted to Melkor and they had hearts of fire and they were shrouded in darkness and they were later called Balrog. So uh, they're sort of unnamed Maiar that are just attracted to him. So as Stephanie corrected, uh, Sauron is attached to the smithing god Aule. So is Saruman, by, by the way, which is why mm-hmm. you can see they have sort of a, a similar issue later. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think fire is really as associated with smithing in this universe. Huh. All right, well, so the, she says when the Ishtari, which this is another word for the five wizards, uh, were sent to Middle-earth by the Valar, they had to relearn a lot of knowledge. This is something mentioned, mentioned in the appendixes to Lord of the Rings. So it makes sense to me that if a blue wizard or perhaps early iteration of Gandalf uh, comes down, he's going to be communicating in Quenya. Also, the runes he's using may be the runes developed by Rumel in Valinor and not the runes used in Middle-earth, which the Harforts would not understand. Um you so I, I i guess i didn't know that this was the case like that there is kind of like in the bible when uh uh jesus was sent down to earth as a child uh there's a lot of things important that he didn't really have access to his pre-human existence until he was baptized by john the baptist is there a similar thing with the ishtari where when they come to earth they kind of are like these mewling infants that don't know a lot about what's going on and have to kind of get caught up or why why would why would the valar have that kind of plan <laughs> you know yeah uh, I, I don't think that's a super developed thing i mean i know that um when gandalf came to middle earth as at the in the third age like to help with sauron coming back he met Kyrdon. Kyrdon recognized who he was you know he he sort of said hey i get you man he gives him a ring so uh there there's Definitely less confusion than that. I mean, we do see some confusion when Gandalf is reincarnated. Comes back in the, the white. Yeah, right. yeah. He's like, he's like Gandalf. I yes, I've used that name before. So, right. Uh, I, I think that disorientation isn't off the table. I think that that's reasonable gotcha. to read. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I mean, it's a dis coming down 
uh, on a comet of fire and slam it. That would be a disorientating. You know, he's just concussed. He's got what like the hell a, is this heat? <laughs> he's got a traumatic brain injury. Uh, <laughs> and then and then they let him fall down their wagon in a hill and he got knocked again. So, yeah, concussion on top of concussion. Oh, boy, these habits are clumsy. What did you think about this? Because I didn't know, like, uh, this makes a lot of sense because, because you know, language is very important to Tolkien and he would know, like, as the languages kind of moved over Europe and kind of like, you know, uh, you can definitely see similarities, but it's surprising how little distance you can travel geography geographically and yet have entirely different flavors of language, different types of script. Uh, this, this, the runings that might be recognized on one side of Middle Earth and not the other, it seems entirely consistent with that. Yeah, I mean, the thing with these runes in the show is that, as far as I know, no one has tracked down exactly what this rune is or what the Sauron symbol is. I think right. the show is just playing with non-canon runes, which is fine. Um, gotcha. it, it's just, I think that they're deliberately saying, if we use a real rune from this universe, these lorehounds are going to figure this out in 10 minutes. And so they're trying to throw us off our game here. Continues, Stephanie does. A little Yoda there. Uh, really, really interested in how Elrond develops and how they address Elros. The books state that he is an er- herald of Gilgalad and that he would still be considered young. But of course, his twin goes on to found Numenor, which is, I assume, well established in the series and how Tour, Elwing, glossed over or referenced. I So I thought I knew what was going on in Numenor, mm-hmm. but... I'm a little confused about the timeline. Are we at the very end of the first age? Are we at the dawn of the second age? Is Numenor a thing yet? It seems like it would be because I thought Numenor was kind of created for the Adain to kind of reward them siding against Morgoth, right? And the the Great War. Yeah. Um, And that's already happened. So Numenor, this race of highly advanced, powerful men living in the sea is already a thing at the start of the series. Right. So the thing is that they've they've uh, condensed like thousands of years of Numenorean history in this uh, <laughs> in this uh-huh. show. I mean, in the trailers, we see uh, Muriel, the actress for for Muriel, who's going to be the queen regent of Numenor at this time, uh, who, who, by the way, is not ever like in power in the book. So this is totally like new stuff where we don't know exactly what's happening. She says in one of the interviews, Numenor is at a turning point. It's at a tipping point. They have to decide whether to go with their old ways of following sort of the elves and the Valar or to go with this new thing of like being the conquerors and and uh, expansionists and things like that. So that's where we are, which is should be towards the end of the second age, which would line up with the forging of the rings of power. So I think that's where we're at. Uh, okay. They also have Farazone is definitely in there, but he has seem, seems to have a much different role than he does in the writing. So I'm almost as lost as you are because okay. it's just it, they've just condensed so much that I don't know exactly how they're framing this. And that's fine. Like, I don't mind them playing jazz, honestly, as long as they're as, as long as I, I care about the show through the characters, I can, you know, and, and it doesn't seem like it's like what I would call Tolkien heresy. Right. Um, and I got if we did Tolkien heresy. You'd have to go something deeper, like the elves would have to be, I don't know, fundamentally selfish evil creatures or something for me to get like really pissed but uh right 
Uh, Stephanie says, what confuses me from a canon perspective the most is the timing of all this with Galadriel and events in uh, Eregion. Is that how you pronounce Eregion? That's right. Okay. That's the one. Every freaking vowel gets enunciated <laughs> in Elvish, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Galadriel was des- described by Tolkien in the Unfinished Tales as being as powerful as Fionor. I understand Amazon can't reference this because they don't own the rights to those works, but of, uh, all that story helped set up her relationship with uh, Celeborn or Yep. And that relationship produces Celebrian, Calabrian, Celebrian, Celebrian, who marries Elrond and then gives birth to Arwen, which means we are watching scenes Elrond is having with his future mother-in-law. Yep. Anyway, Galadriel's power and prominence make the decision to send her to Valinor very odd indeed. Uh, do you have anything about this situation with Galadriel being as powerful as Fionor and all, all that stuff? Oh, it's a real mess. Um, yeah, the uh, I, I mentioned on the lore cast, like this was the one deviation that I think annoyed me was uh, this whole Gilgalad saying, yeah, yeah, you guys go to Valinor now. That's mm-hmm. not really in line with with Galadriel's journey. And, and that's why I had an issue with it is it sort of messes up her character arc, because in Lord of the Rings, you remember she goes, I passed the test. Right. I, you know, I can go home basically. And that's yeah. because she, she did have this desire for power and conquering and, and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and I think that when she finally refuses the ring, she herself, she forgives herself for being part of the Noldor and part of all this nonsense with her uncle Feanor. And to have her be offered Valinor earlier seems like a little bit of a shortcut with that and seems to interrupt that pattern. So that was okay. my one issue with it. And also, you, Stephanie's totally right about like the timeline being weird with like Elrond's going to matter her, marry her daughter and that's that's a little weird <laughs> hmm. it's interesting because the decision to send her to Valinor Valinor, Valinor um, kind of threw Jim I was, was, it made it gave kind of Gilglad a, a, a little bit of a sinister edge like oh he's trying to maneuver the people her. who are wa- Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's trying to side. Yeah, so which is sideline Galadriel when she's the only one that's wanting to keep uh, the hunt for Sauron, which we know is a hunt that needs to go on because Sauron's not exactly been van- van- vanquished. Mm-hmm. So, which I think is a misleading because I don't think Gilgalad is uh, a bloody-minded, cross-grained bastard. I think no. he he is a good guy that wants to do what's right by Middle Earth. And uh, and look, I'm watching yeah. House of the Dragon at the same time, so that's probably <laughs> bleeding <laughs> over into my suspicious nature. Yeah, yeah. You're looking for the schemers. So um, I think that with elves, you can just remember they can be assholes, but they're not evil. Okay. Yeah. Is, Haughty, you know, self-righteous, uh, think too much of themselves, maybe, but outright evil. Not not so much. They're men before the fall in Tolkien's conception. That's that's mm. sort of a good way to look at them. He, he sees them as these more perfect men. Gotcha. Right. Um, I she says I hope they don't do disservice to Finrod. He's really one of the greatest characters Tolkien created. Is is now Finrod? That's Galadriel's brother. We're talking about. Yeah, and you got Correct. a good like half hour of us chatting I mean, about him on the on the lore cast. Yeah, and he's he's dead. So like I I, I don't know if if you can disservice him now that he's dead. But uh, he has a great story, and I and they could do more in flashbacks. I don't know how much they have the rights to, but we tell that whole thing. story on the. Uh, on the lore cast, but they, but again, they've shown more than I thought that they had the rights to anyway. And, and I know that they can get like a case by case basis with the first age stuff with the Tolkien estate. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe the Tolkien estate's mm. playing a little nicer than it did with Christopher. 
Hmm. I can't source the this information. I've looked around for it. I've heard it in a couple of places, but that it was the Tolkien estate that um, opened up tenders, basically, and just said, hey, we're interested in development. You guys come to us, and apparently it was Amazon that, that won that bid with, uh, you know, with the current showrunners. And so the that I'm not I can't source. I've I've heard it in a couple of places, but I haven't found a primary source for that yet. But if that is the case, then it feels like when Amazon wants to come with a request, they have a willing partner on the other side. It's not like they stole the rights away from anybody, right. but they're actually in active conversation with the Tolkien estate for this development. And so that pre predisposes uh, us seeing more of this interesting first age stuff and more of the deeper storylines thrown in salt and peppered here and there. Okay. That's a, some headcanon anyway. <laughs> Stephanie wraps up says overall, I'm more pleased with the first two episodes. than I thought I would be and relieved. The production is so well done. The world building they're doing and giving us characters to really care about makes up for my nitpicking over the lore details. I'm excited. The show has turned out to be so wonderful because it keeps Tolkien alive and relevant. And I wholeheartedly concur with that. That's our uh, that's that's the, the 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 lore corner for this week. Thanks for coming on and, and helping us to un, understand and explain these things. Sounds like there's lots of more great content over on your lore cast. Guys, if they want to follow the lore hounds around on the Internet, uh, what would a, what would a listener do well to remember? Where, where can what? you be found? So we have our feed called the lore hounds and that's where you're going to find uh, uh, all our stuff so if you just in your podcast app of choice just search for the lore hounds um we have the bald move discord server which you can get a link in the show notes below or on the baldmove.com website and we have a whole section of channels dedicated for each individual episode we've got kind of a general question where we where we're protecting it from spoilers and then we have a, like a totally like wild speculation and and post all your tinfoil hat theories channel so we we manage it pretty well so that as you're progressing along you can join the conversation without ever feeling like you're going to get swept away in the in the current and then we have our twitter which is at the lorehounds well there you go Guys, thanks. We'll be having you guys on uh, throughout the season to kind of talk, help us crack open these things and understand them more. And then, of course, Jim and I are going to be uh, joining you guys not next week, but the week after, because it's my understanding that uh, David here is going to go off on a little uh, uh, unexpected journey of his own. Mm, indeed. Uh, <laughs> he's called to adventure across the, the Misty Mountains, and uh, we'll, we'll be back after a couple of weeks, but Jim and I will be keeping his, uh, his seat warm on the Lore Hounds podcast. So check all that stuff out, and uh, thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Lore Hounds, John and David, for coming on and helping us with the heavy lifting on the lore. Uh, definitely follow them if you want more in-depth lore coverage throughout this season. And if you'd like to send the feedback to the show, Dug too deep at baldmove.com is the place you want to send it. Again, you can follow Bald Move Twitter, twitter.com slash baldmove if you want to keep up with what's going on with the Bald Move universe. And also, if you just want to make sure you get all of our zombie and spaceship and laser gun and dragon and wizard content, I highly recommend you search for Bald Move Pulp in your favorite podcast app because we're that's 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 how you get it. And again, we do all kinds of movies, all kinds of television shows. You never know. And the only way you're not going to miss anything is to have that bald move pulp injected right into your podcast feeds. 
we'll be back uh, Friday to have coverage of the third episode of the Rings of Power. I can't wait to see how they build on things. If we're going to get more mysteries about the Meteor Man, uh, see if uh, turns out Halbrand is Sauron. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, Jamie getting all of the internet points, we'll find out. Dug too deep at baldmove.com. Until this Friday, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>